like to begin reading from Ephesians chapter 2 and beginning in verse 8 this morning. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. These verses were written to the saints in Ephesus many, many years ago, and particularly chapter 2, here Paul speaks to the Gentiles, reminding them that at one time they were dead in trespasses and sins, but now they've been saved through the blood of Jesus Christ. He emphasizes here in verse 8 the grace by which they were saved. In chapter 1, Paul has talked much about God's plan to save man. And that is a plan that involved grace. It involved Him as the architect and the planner. Jesus Christ, His Son, is the one who came and executed it. And the Holy Spirit is the one who revealed it to to mankind. For it would do no good if God did all of those things, but it was never revealed to man what He had done for him and what man needed to do. According to chapters one, uh, chapter one and verse thirteen and verse fifteen, these Christians, these saints in Ephesus, had heard and trusted and believed. They had then uh, faith about what uh, they had faith in what they had been taught. Um, they were saved by grace, and really, there's an emphasis then upon grace in verse eight. But were they saved apart from any? action on their part other than faith. Verses 8-10 through 10 generate lots of controversy because of what is said there, not of works lest anyone should boast. There are many different works spoken about in the Bible. There are works of the law of Moses by which no man could be justified. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 16. Romans 3 and 28. There's works of man's righteousness in Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, we're told that we cannot be saved by our own works of righteousness, which we have done, but God through His mercy saved us. There are works of a boastful nature. There are certainly works of iniquity and lawlessness. There's works of darkness. There's works of God's righteousness, though. And there's works of faith. In uh, James chapter 2, and begin reading in verse 14. We have this. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked or destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there's one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect. And the Scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God 
and it was counted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messenger and sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. We have no contradiction in the Bible, for truth does not contradict truth. But in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, we're told that we're saved by grace through faith, not of works. But in James chapter 2 and verse 24, we see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Some may want to quibble about the word justified there, but to be justified is to be declared not guilty. And so we're speaking about being saved. We're speaking about being justified and being right with God, which is what salvation is about. So man is justified by works, and yet he's also saved by grace and through faith. How can this all be? Well, Paul wrote also back there in Romans chapter 5 and verses 1 and 2, he said, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Here's an emphasis upon faith. By faith, having been justified by faith, we have access by faith into this grace. So here we have Ephesians 2 and 8 emphasizing God's grace. We have James chapter 2 emphasizing man's works in as part of his faith. And then we have Romans 5 emphasizing man's faith. There's three things there. There's grace and faith and works. But let's qualify again works that we're talking about. We're talking about works of faith. Works of faith which would be considered obedience. Back there in James chapter 2, as an example, he gave Abraham. Was it Abraham's idea to offer his son upon the altar? No, that was God's direction. That was God's command. We're talking about works of faith. And that's the idea of action that is discharged in obedience to divine command. That's the works we're talking about. That's what James is talking about in James chapter 2. He's talking about action that's discharged in obedience to divine command. Paul speaks about faith working through love. Galatians 5 and verse 6. In 1 Thessalonians 1 and 3, we read about the idea of the work of faith. And the Thessalonians are, Thessalonians are they're commended for their work of faith. How does all this work together? Grace, faith, and works. We're saved by grace. We're justified by faith. We're justified by works, that is, obedience in response to divine command. How does this all work together? I'd like us to take a trip through the Old Testament for a little while and see that in happening and then see it again in the New Testament and then close up. Grace, of course, is the favor of God for you and me. It's unmerited. It's unearned. It's undeserved. It's not owed, and it's not something to be demanded. That's grace. Grace is that way. Salvation is described as a gift of God. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 also. We read it in Ephesians 
Or Romans 6.23, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ His Son. Salvation is not owed me, nor you, uh, nor can it be earned. Faith is trust and confidence and belief in God. And the works again that we're talking about this morning is works of faith as James describes. Obedience to God. Doing what He has commanded. Let's turn then to Exodus chapter 3 and see a case here of the intersection of these three, three, these three things. Grace, faith, and obedience are works of faith. In Exodus chapter 3, we have the occasion of the children... Well, we don't get there, but let's just read ahead of time what God has promised. In Exodus chapter 3 and verse 6, the Lord said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he is afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. So God's promise to deliver them and this is going to be a great deliverance. And we read about it in Exodus chapter 14. And it involves not only their coming out of Egypt, but that crossing of the Red Sea, which we want to read about in Exodus 14 and beginning in verse 9. The Egyptians believed that they had them hemmed in. And the Israelites believed that they were hemmed in by where they were. But God has a great thing planned. So the Egyptians pursued them Exodus 14 and 9, them and all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and overtook them camping by the sea by Pi-Heheroth before Baal-Zephon. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever." The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. But lift up your hand, uh, your rod, and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. We have divine instruction here for what Moses is to do, that is to raise up the rod, stretch out his hand over the sea and divide it. And divine instruction for what the children of Israel are to do. And that is to go through on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And this is exactly what they did in chapter 14 and 21. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea into dry land and the waters were divided. 
So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. We had a great promise to deliver, and we had instruction, divine instruction from God about how to cross, and they're told, see the salvation of the Lord. They did just as they were told. And the Bible says, as we read in verse 22 there, that they went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And when they went, they passed by as on dry land, whereas the Egyptians were drowned. If we turn to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 29, Hebrews 11 and 29, we learn that it is by faith, by faith they pass through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. Here we have something being done by faith. And that is belief and trust and confidence in God in His divine command. And not only just belief and trust and confidence in God, but enough to go and do it. They went into the midst of the sea. Now, had they ever seen such a thing happen before? Have you ever seen such a thing happen before? What would you think if you were there and told to do that and walk into the midst of the sea? I'd be asking myself, maybe how long are these walls of water going to be like this? How muddy is it? I think I'm going to get stuck in the quagmire here. What? How's this going to work? But they had faith to go do this. They believed and trusted enough in the divine command and in God to go do what he said do. They didn't earn a dry crossing. They didn't deserve a dry crossing. They weren't owed a dry crossing. God gave them a dry crossing by His grace. I know He promised it. But He promised that He would do that. That was His gift to them. But it only came when they believed and obeyed. And it is interesting to note that the Egyptians who came after them, it didn't work for them. They did the same thing. They were on horses and chariots and they followed. Back there in Exodus chapter 14, Exodus 14 and verse 23, the Egyptians pursued and went after them into the midst of the sea. All Pharaoh's horses, his chariots and his horsemen. Now it came to pass in the morning watch that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar a fire and cloud, and he troubled the army of the Egyptians, and he took off their chariot wheels so that they drove them with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the waters may come up back upon the Egyptians on their chariots and on their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth, while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. The Egyptians went into the sea, but they did not go by faith. They had no such divine command to even do so. And you know that's interesting because unbelievers and infidels do all kinds of things that are good, but they're not done in response to divine command. They're not done by faith. They won't be saved. They need faith in God Divine command given to them and follow that. That's faith and obedience working together. Do you remember when the uh, children of Israel sent the spies into the land? 
And two came back with a good report, but the other ten didn't. And they were punished for it. And God said, so you're going to wander 40 years. What did the Israelites do? Do you remember they said, well, we'll go in. We'll go in and fight now. Was it the Lord's will that they do that? It was not the Lord's command that they do that. Could they do that by faith? No, they could not do it by faith. What was the result? Do you remember the result? They were routed. Why? God never promised them that. God's not going to bless them. They couldn't go do that by faith. The Israelites operated by faith and they obeyed. God's grace is that He delivered them from the Egyptian army. They did this in faith and trust and confidence, belief in God enough to do it. And they crossed the Red Sea. Did they earn it? No, they didn't earn it. But had God promised it? Yes. Was it by grace only that they were saved? No. Was it by faith only? Well, I believe I ought to pass into the sea, but I'll not do it. No, it wasn't faith only. Was it by their works only? We'll just look at the Egyptians. No, it was a work of faith in response to divine command. And God blessed them. I want to consider another example of this. Faith working in God's grace blessing. We turn to Numbers chapter 21. In Numbers 21 and verses 4-9, through we have a case of the murmuring of the children of Israel. They journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that He may take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole, and so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. There's no other case of such in the Bible. No other case I've known of in the history of mankind. I've never known of one to be healed by looking at a bronze serpent on a stick. Be her be healed of a a snake bite that would kill. But by faith they did this. God gave instruction. There was divine command. They believed God enough to do it. And verse 9, whoever it is, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, then what happened? He lived. Alright. That was quite a gaze. It must have been quite a gaze for him that to heal his bite, huh? No, that's not the point, is it? God's the one who gave the living. He's the one who gave the life. He's the one who healed. And I believe they knew it. But they knew that they had to believe enough to look upon the serpent. We have faith working 
and grace blessing. God's grace. Wouldn't you say they're saved by faith? Yes, saved by faith. Are they saved from the state by, by grace? Yes, God's grace. Are they saved by looking at the snake? Yes, they're saved by obeying divine command. Let's look at another example. This one would be in Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. This is the conquering of Jericho. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none went in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go all around the city once. This you shall do six days. And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. Then it shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout. Then the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, every man straight before him. We have divine instruction, divine command given. We have a promise of great deliverance. In fact, spoken of as if it's already done. See, I have given Jericho into your hand its king and the mighty men of valor. And when God makes a promise, you can know it will come to pass if we follow His will. He gave instruction about what to do. And then if you read on then in Joshua chapter 6 now in verse 20. So the people shouted. This is now the seventh day. Now the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets. And it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. And then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. By faith, they encircled the city for seven days. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith. By faith, they fall down. You mean all they had to do was just believe God and that the walls would fall down? Just believe it? By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled seven days. The walls fell down by faith because they acted according to divine command because they performed this work of obedience. A work of faith. Marching around, just as He said, for the six days and the seventh day seven times, and all of those actions. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. I thought they fell down by the grace of God. Yes, they fell down by the grace of God. Who would have thought that doing those things would make the walls fall down? You can try it today. It won't happen because it's not discharged in response to divine command. Obedience is work discharged in response to divine command. And that's a work of faith. The Bible clearly says then that this happened because of their faith 
And obviously because they did what God said. They believed God and they did it. We can go and look at Naaman, and he's worthy of a whole lesson himself, but in 2 Kings chapter 5 and verses 10 through 14, we have another example of grace, faith, and works of faith working together for man's healing in this case. In 2 Kings chapter 5, you'll recall that we have Naaman. He's a commander of the army of the king of Syria. He's a great man uh, described a mighty man of valor, but he has a problem, and that is he's a leper. But a young maiden uh, gives information that why doesn't he go because there's a prophet uh, in Israel, let's say, or in Samaria, if only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. This information gets to the king of Syria, and the king of Syria sends a letter with Naaman and with other things, with 10,000 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothing. He sends Naaman with this letter to the king, the king of Israel. The king, of, this is the wrong man. So he needs to go to the prophet. But he goes to the king, he's sent to the king of Israel, and the king of Israel says, What am I to do about this? Are you seeking a quarrel with me? But Elisha the prophet in Israel, Heard that the man of God, uh, Elisha, man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, and so he said to the king, And why have you done this? Please let him, let Naaman come to me, verse 8, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. And Naaman went with his horses and chariot, and he stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Are not the Abana and the far part of the rivers of Damascus better than all the rivers of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came there and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you, uh, would you not have done it? How much more than when he says to you, Wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. Naaman dipped seven times in the Jordan River. Naaman at first did not have the faith to go do that. But Naaman then believed through persuasion here to go and do. Many have dipped in the Jordans many times. But none healed of leprosy. But when one responds to divine command and works according to faith and discharges action in response to divine command, then he can be assured that God's promise and His grace will come. And that's exactly what he received. He received cleaning. He was cleansed of his leprosy. Is that not the grace and the gift of God? One more example, and that is in John chapter 9, as we turn to the New Testament and look at the case of the man who was blind from birth in John chapter 9. 
Jesus and the disciples speak about this situation. And then in verse 6, when He, that is Jesus, had said these things, He spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva, and He anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And He said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sin. So He went and washed and came back seeing. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that He was blind said, Is not this He who sat and begged? Some said, This is He. Others said, He's like Him. He said, I am He. Therefore they said to Him, How were your eyes opened? He answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and I received sight. He went and washed. He believed Jesus enough to go and do what Jesus had commanded him to do. And in so doing, he came back seen. Many a man could do the same thing, but would not come back seen. But this man by faith could do it because he was given divine command to do it. And when he did it, by faith, he had access into God's grace. That is, he came back seen. Remember the uh, Scripture back in uh, Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, which is in red up there. Paul said we have access by faith into this grace. What kind of faith? A faith that works in response to divine command. But look at these cases. Paul's not talking about these, I know. But look at these cases where people were given divine command, they believed God enough to go and do that, and they received the grace of God. Is it any different in the New Testament age? Is it any different with the Gospel of Jesus Christ? Paul said we have access by faith into this grace. James said that a man is justified by works and not by faith only, and that is works of faith, obedience. Let's see if that's the case. Turn in your Bibles then to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. In Romans chapter 10, the Bible says, For with the heart one believes, two are unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. With the heart one believes to righteousness. Do you believe enough to receive the righteousness which is from God? The grace of God? This is access into God's grace, is belief. But that's not all that brings us into righteousness. There's repentance. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10, Paul said, Godly sorrow produces repentance to or unto salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. You want access into the grace of God that is salvation? You must repent. And that's a repentance produced by godly sorrow. For godly sorrow produces repentance to or unto salvation. This is access into the grace of God is belief and repentance. But that's not all. We turn back to Romans chapter 10 and verse 10 again. 
With the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. With the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. You want access into the grace of God? Confess Jesus as Lord and Christ, the Son of God. Confess Him before men. But that's not all. There is baptism in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. On the day of Pentecost, when convicted sinners were asked what to do, Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is baptism for or unto what? The remission of sins. God's grace. This is how we have access into God's grace today. is by believing and repenting and confessing and being baptized into Christ. And that's important too to point out that baptism is into Christ. Galatians chapter 3 and verses 26 and 27 where Paul said, We are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. One's not in Christ until he's been baptized into Christ. Into Christ. Salvation through Jesus Christ is clearly by faith, but it's in obedience to His commands, and that's how we enter into His grace. For we, are, we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Romans chapter 5 and verses 1 and 2. I want to make a few applications of these points then before we close. Grace of God does not negate man's faith. The grace of God does not negate or do away with man's work of faith or his obedience. Man's faith does not do away or negate or minimize God's grace. Man's Work of faith is obedience in response to divine command does not do away with grace. They all work together. Often Christians are accused of believing in a works-based salvation because they believe in baptism. Someone says, well, if one is baptized in order to be saved, then salvation is dependent upon a work of man. The first problem with that is to show me the Scripture where baptism is all ever called a work of men. The baptism of John, whence was it from? From heaven or from men? What's the answer? It's from heaven. The baptism that Jesus commanded, is it from heaven or from men? It's from heaven. It's not from men. Baptism for remission of sins and is by order of God, not by order of men. It's then a work of faith, is it not? A work of faith. A man is justified by works and not by faith only. It's a work of faith that is one that is discharged in response and obedience to divine command. Even faith or belief is called a work of God not because God does it, but because it's what God has given man to do. John 6, 28 and 29. This is the work of God that you believe. 
This is a work of God. And so when people make this charge that you believe in a works-based salvation, uh, show me the Scripture for that. Because baptism is something commanded by God. That's not my idea. Any more than dipping seven times in the Jordan River is Naaman's idea. Any more than any of those other things were of those who responded in faith and received gifts from God. Another may say, well, you believe you can fall from grace, so you must believe that your works are going to save you. And that gets into a whole other maybe a, a whole other discussion, but Jesus said that He's the author of eternal salvation to all who obey Him. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 9. I, like Paul, believe that I can become unfaithful and that you can too. He talked about becoming a castaway himself. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 27. Lest he become a castaway, he would buffet his body and bring it into subjection. Hebrews chapter 10 and verses 26 through 29 speak of some who have uh, insulted the Spirit of grace and they're in facing a terrible judgment. They were Christians, but they've fallen from grace. Sometimes, uh, another point here, sometimes where we or people are inclined to say, you know, it's all about God's grace. It's all about God's grace. I believe we need to be careful about saying things like it's all about this or it's all about that. I believe we do a great disservice to the understanding of the Scriptures if not leading others astray when we say it's all about this or it's all about that or it's only this. It's all of what God says. Psalm 119 and verse 160, the sum or the entirety of your word is truth. It's about grace. It's about faith. It's about works of faith. It's about all three in order to receive blessing from God. Let's be careful with it's all about. Someone else may accuse, well, you believe your obedience merits salvation. It deserves. It's like you're earning salvation. You know, when we obey God, we're just like the blind man of John chapter 9, aren't we? The blind man never dreamed of having clay put on his eyes and going and washing in the pool of Siloam. He did that in response to divine command. Discharge of obedience. We're just like him. I'm just like the Israelites told, who are told to cross the Red Sea on, on dry ground. I'm just like the Israelites surrounding the walls of Jericho. Why? Why do this? Because God said so. That's why. In response to divine command. And having done all of that, in the end, I know where the gift is coming from, don't we? We know it's of God's grace that He has given it to us. Someone says, well, you've placed conditions on salvation. Well, no, don't. I've not placed conditions anymore than Naaman was given conditions. Any more than the blind man was given conditions. What to do in order to come back seeing? We're just looking at the Scriptures. Conditions have been given. We looked at those, and that is to believe and repent and confess before men and to be baptized for the remission of sins. 
I believe also there's applications to be made to us who are Christians in order to continue in His grace, to continue growing in His grace. You and I know we've received an unmerited gift of salvation from our past sins when we obeyed the Gospel of Jesus Christ. But how do we continue in His favor? How do we continue in His favor? Is His favor just automatic and unconditional? <coughs> we have the example of uh, Simon, the ex-sorcerer in Acts chapter 8, who sinned after he became a Christian and he was told to repent and pray. Now think about that. Simon needed to have enough faith. He needed to believe in Apostle Peter, an apostle who was Peter, enough to say, I'll do that and do it knowing that what God would do what? Forgive him. That's God's grace. But it didn't come without His obedience. It wouldn't come except He repent and pray and believe enough to do it and do it. I think of something like Philippians chapter 4 and verses 6 and 7. Something quite meaningful to me at times. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now here's the question. We're talking about, again, about faith, works of faith, and grace. Do I believe the Apostle Paul enough, written by the Holy Spirit, do I believe him enough that when I'm anxious that I will go to God in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, knowing that He'll do what? And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That's God's grace. But it will come when I do what? When I believe this enough to do it. And I do it. Will I have earned His grace? I don't earn His grace. You can't earn grace. Are gifts earned? I hope we don't give gifts like that. Well, I'll only give you a gift if you earn it. Gifts by their very nature are not earned. God's grace is a gift. Second Peter chapter one and verses five through eleven. Just one more, as an example for us who are Christians. Second Peter one five through eleven. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you'll never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Do you see the grace of God in that? But do you see our part, faith, and faith working? Faith working. Discharge of action in obedience in response to divine command. Grace, faith, and works of faith. 
work together that we might receive the things that God has promised. Have you done those things? Are you outside of Christ? Or are you in Christ this morning? If you're not a child of God, won't you become one? We're going to sing a song of invitation. And you this very morning can come forward and confess your faith in Jesus Christ and be baptized for the remission of your sins. If you believe the Gospel, you're willing to repent. Then confess Jesus as Lord in Christ and be baptized. If you've done those things and you're not living right, will you get right with the Lord? We're going to stand and sing a song to encourage your obedience to the Gospel. Please come forward as we stand and sing.